This is the Dreadful Podcast from TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Lovecraft Country Season 1, Episode 6, Meet Me in Daegu. Welcome back, fellow Dreadfuls, to TV Podcast Industries, and of course, the Dreadful Podcast. We are talking about episode six of Lovecraft Country, Meet Me in Daegu. And of course, you can meet us uh, in Daegu via our podcast. Uh, But yes, I am one of your hosts, inhabited by the Kumiho spirit, John. God, I hope not. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. I better keep a very clear review if you're, uh, <laughs> if some tails start to come out of your eyes and ears. Uh, yes. <laughs> welcome back. Nine tails, yeah. in fact. Uh, yeah, welcome back, fellow Dreadfuls. It's really great to have you back uh, for this next episode of Lovecraft Country. We uh, played a piece there right at the start, which was in Korean. Uh, that was between Uma and Jaya, uh, the the mother and daughter here mm. uh, about this spirit animal, uh, the Kumiho, that has been called into Jaya by her mother, mm. uh, and the idea of getting the hundred souls so that her mother can have her daughter back, yeah. uh, and the spirit will no doubt leave the body. Yeah. Uh, but it is the conversation between the two uh, where Jaya is not going to become human. She doesn't want to be. Uh, she does not want to take another soul. She is tantalizingly close to that hundred souls mm-hmm. on 99. And of course, her mother is insistent that she will uh, take that final soul so that she can become her daughter without this spirit animal within her. Yeah. But as Jaya says, I have now seen the lifetimes of 99 men all more bad than good. Mm. Why do you insist on me becoming a part of this world effectively? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, we just thought we'd give a little bit of context to the Korean text and dialogue yeah. uh, that we opened up the, uh, this episode of the Dreadful Podcast on. Yeah, yeah. It just feels like such a, a courageous thing to do almost. And HBO is definitely never shies away from doing interesting things with their shows. But definitely thought it was a really interesting move to have an episode set in Korea and 90% of it uh, spoken in Korean. You know, we there's so many shows over the last 10 years that would have would have 
uh, had an out here. You know, very simply, you have a character like Jaya who's speaking to Atticus, your main character from the rest of the season. They absolutely could have just done more scenes between the two of them where there was more English spoken. Uh, and most shows would have taken that. They would have had a few scenes in Korean. But this entire episode, pretty much like 90% of it, is Jaya uh, from her perspective speaking in Korean with her friends, her family, um, all about this situation of uh, this mystical spirit that is has become part of her really yes so, absolutely really well c- called into her yes uh, but we'll certainly get that into our discussion of uh, the podcast and just to remind all our fellow dreadfuls and new listeners who are coming on board this will be a spoiler filled discussion yeah. so please watch the show before listening to the podcast if you are new, you can subscribe to us, rate us, leave a review on any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice. Or alternatively, you can head on over uh, to tvpodcastindustries.com to listen to the podcast as well. So, uh, yes, you can find us on any uh, listening podcast catcher that you decide to tune on into to listen to your favorite shows. Exactly, exactly. We're now available on uh, Amazon Music, John. Uh, just arrived on there last week. All of our shows, all of TV podcast industries as a whole, plus all the individual shows that we have for all the shows that we've covered. You can go find them over on uh, on Amazon Music. Pretty good interface, actually. It's just launched this week for the uh, for the podcast section of, uh, of Amazon. So uh, that's quite cool. I'm quite, quite delighted to be over there. Uh, always good to launch on a new platform. Yeah, definitely. Um, so please, uh, check us out and, uh, we will be there talking all about Lovecraft Country. Exactly. We are also talking all about the boys as well, yeah. uh, that is on Amazon Prime at the moment. So if your uh, tastes move from horror into comics, well, then of course we have, uh, the podcasts for you to listen to. Absolutely. But let us get into this episode six of Lovecraft Country. Meet me in Daegu. Derek, what are some of the episode details? Well, the episode was directed by Helen Shaver. She's done lots and lots of TV. So many great shows that she's done. Uh, she did two episodes of the first season of 13 Reasons Why. Did three episodes of Orphan Black, six episodes of Vikings, and two episodes of Snowpiercer, the new TV show that was out this year. Uh, that was a really good TV show. I really enjoyed that show. Uh, really built from the beginning and from something that I didn't expect from the Snowpiercer movie. I expected to, to kind of follow that at that train, let's say. Um, and uh, the actual show took a good, took some really interesting turns as it went through. So uh, really good work by uh, by everybody involved in that show. Really yeah, she's done a two. lot of great shows. Um, mm-hmm. Vikings, I loved, mm-hmm. um, even though I saw it on a flight back from Thailand, uh-huh. uh, pretty much in in the dark. It was so <laughs> dark, the, the, uh, the show on the plane, and yeah. because it was on one of those little screens... Um, I think I didn't really know who was even in it. So I was, I was more listening to uh, a teleplay being read out, really. <laughs> Occasionally I got a flicker of a candle in yeah. one of the great Viking hulls. I remember looking over and just thinking for hours on end, it was just a picture <laughs> of some candles that was on John's screen. Hilarious. But I still uh, loved it. Yeah. Um, and also directed, as I said, uh, episodes of Orphan Black, uh, starring Tatiana Mislani. Uh, some big news this week on a show that we're going to be covering on TV Podcast Industries. Tatiana Mislani, the, the central character in Orphan from Black will be playing Jennifer Walters on the She-Hulk TV show. So uh, that's going to be really interesting. Um, Tatiana Maslany is just fantastic in Orphan Black. If you haven't seen it, she plays, I think, 14 different characters over the run of the series. Yeah. Um, and really good, really different. So uh, bringing her into the Marvel Universe would be very Yeah, cool. a great show. Uh, a great show there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, done loads as Helen Shaver. 
Uh, great stuff. Absolutely. Uh, the episode, once again, teleplay written by Misha Green, uh, this time with Kevin Lau, uh, who's the story editor for the show. He's been involved in, in every episode of the show as one of the story editors. So uh, he's involved in the in the setting of this particular episode. So uh, excellent work here. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. 1949, with Korea on the brink of war between North and South, a Korean nursing student, Jaya Indaegu, with an interest in American movies, is looking for soulmates. During the summer of 1950, in the midst of the now raging Korean War, Jaya and her fellow shift nurses are taken by American soldiers to root out a communist spy at the hospital. Her remaining memory of this violent encounter is the detention of her best friend, Uni, and the execution of two of her colleagues, one at the hands of an American GI named Atticus. As summer moves to autumn, Jaya encounters Atticus again, and she vows to take revenge and his soul. But as she seduces Tick, an unlikely bond forms between them, but the urge of the spirit animal Kumiho still requires its souls. But in the throes of passion, the nine tales of the Kumiho attached to Atticus, revealing to Jaya Tick's past, present, and future. As we mentioned, yeah, very interesting uh kind of backstory this is the flashback episode that we see so often in tv shows um kind of expanding the history of our main character atticus through this uh, story of jaya um the last episode last week's episode episode five ended with atticus uh translating some of the pages from the book of adam and when he translated it he realized there was a word die that he translated then he called up jaya in uh, in daigu saying to her she was right and this is the episode explaining what it is that she's right about really so a uh, really interesting way of doing this i wouldn't i wouldn't have expected that this is where we were going to go at all not at all but what a great episode um sort of you know in part delving into the history uh of the korean war mm-hmm. uh in part uh delving into the the supernatural myths and legends uh in Southeast Asia and mm-hmm. specifically Korea. So really, really, really enjoyed this episode yeah. uh, a lot and was very surprised uh, that we had this flashback episode effectively mm-hmm. um back to Korea right on that kind of start of and the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we're probably going to cover the episode slightly differently than we normally do because normally there's multiple stories and multiple uh, interweaving strands that are going on in these episodes. But it's it seems like this episode really is all about Jaya. So, um, so probably let's just talk through the episode, John. Are you happy enough with that? Yeah, absolutely. So, do, where where do you want to start with the story? One of the things I want to say probably at the beginning is I love how how they got the episode name for the show, uh, which I thought was really interesting. It opens up with Jaya sitting watching watching an American uh, musical, which is uh, which is Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, so she is uh, so intrigued and so interested in American movies. That's kind of the starting point for the episode. Uh, and the episode is Meet Me in, in Daegu. So uh, nice little reference there that they pulled out. <laughs> so she's kind of living her life through these American films to begin with. Um, what, where do you want to start? What do you want to speak about? For me, it's the Kumiho spirit, mm. um, to be honest, just because... In, in effect, it is this spirit that understands, um, where Tick is, is heading. Um, and just to bring out, you know, it, that initial meeting of this Kumaho spirit, I, I, I was wondering what on earth was coming out of, of Jaya in, in that first encounter that almost like hairy worms. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then 
realizing that this is a spirit animal which is legendary in South East Asia um, and it's a nine-tailed fox so it's actually the the tails of the the fox um, mm-hmm. that are coming out of Jaya yeah, um, when she says it at one point she says something like you know I'm not going to unleash my tails again and I was going oh that's what they are because yeah. I was thinking like was it spider legs was it the tentacles like uh, Cthulhu has exactly. something like that had no idea of this uh, of this concept at all really you know uh, even at points I was kind of thinking was it like the succubus um, that we've seen in uh, American Gods and uh, and throughout legend effectively the the uh, the praying mantis almost that uh, that kills its prey something like that so I had all those all those images and I absolutely love learning this kind of mysticism of other of other cultures being brought into this show as well because there's so many options here you know we were talking before about what happens if they get a season two for Lovecraft Country because season one has kind of gone through the book basically and there's only yeah. one book um here it's kind of showing you that it can go anyway next season could be literally 10 episodes of uh, spooky ghost stories from various foreign countries you know they have loads of options here really. it's really really interesting mm-hmm. um i mean first of all as well i didn't understand speed dating was so old um oh, yeah. at all i was kind of uh, thinking that was something invented in the the late 90s mm-hmm. early noughties to be honest but <laughs> and here we have it in 1949 as jaya is looking for uh this soulmate little does she know that um, she isn't actually going to be successful in the speed dating, mm-hmm. but she does pick up um, uh, a man uh, in, in a bar after the speed dating. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we see the exploding man. And as she, yeah, these, I, I had hairy tentacles. Um, I, I just didn't know what they were mm-hmm. as, as it latched onto him. And you see that as the soul is being devoured, as the flesh of the man is being ex- devoured, that, Jaya can see the memories um, of the man's life Mm -hmm. and really, really interesting. She also then goes through an American GI as well. Um, And ultimately, we have the really great kind of tenseness that um, Atticus is potentially a victim. It will be the hundredth soul Mm -hmm. that... um, Jaya and the Kumiho spirit will will feast on. Mm-hmm. Um, just some background on the Kumiho spirit. It was really, really interesting. So as I say, it's a nine-tailed fox or, or, of legend. Uh, and th- there are similarities here. The Kumiho is from Korea, but there are also equivalent counterparts in Chinese legend and in Japanese legend as, as well. Right. Um, they are called the Huli Ying and the Kitsun. Um, and they're, they're the different names. Right. The interesting thing about the, these Korean, Chinese, Japanese myths and folklores is the, the Kumiho spirit is a, an old ancient spirit. Um, it's over a thousand years. It can be shape shifting. It will freely transform, but amongst other things. So it can inhabit and, and change and, Often it is in a beautiful woman who is set out to seduce men and eat their liver or heart, depending on the legend. And I think the crucial difference here with the the Korean form of this folklore is that it is depicted ultimately as being an evil creature. And the moral compass is more ambiguous within the Chinese and Japanese traditions where they can be for good or for uh, evil. Right. I, I think here, though, potentially, that that moral ambiguity is presented within uh, Jaya 
uh, where she ultimately doesn't feast on Atticus yeah, for yeah. whatever reason. And she doesn't want to. I think there's a, a, an overarching sort of progression and movement towards the fact that this Kumaho spirit does want to feast on Atticus, but there's still part of Jaya there, or indeed the spirit that is trying to stop that. And that kind of links to the the opening um, quote that we took, which is, she's seen so much bad in the world, Mm -hmm. maybe something that that spirit is easy to live with because of that she is an evil creature, that why would you bring then uh, Uma's daughter, Jaya, back into this world? Yeah. So I think with the war as well surrounding this, the behavior of men, that she's happy to live in this world Mm. and prevent Jaya from coming into this pretty violent, uh, unequal world. So I, I thought this was really... Uh, really, really interesting. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably part of what I saw in in what was going on with the Kumaho. It's effectively that it's 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 visiting vengeance on evil men. Um, the reason it's brought into life effectively by Jaya's mother is because her second husband or her husband, uh, not Jaya's father, had been raping her for years, and effectively she brings the Kumiho into being to punish him for what he did but the price is that she has to now kill another 99 bad men effectively so um so you see what happens when we see the first um visions i suppose of the man that she kills that you see that he's cheating on his wife he has a daughter he has a wife that he's cheating on with jaya so uh, so part of that that whole experience that she's had of the memories of 99 men is that it's 99 bad men 99 people who've done bad things and she's seeing all the badness in them and representing that as being her vision of the world effectively so it's been shaped by all of the men that she's taken i loved this whole setup from the beginning because you think of them as a family on the outs uh you see you that initial discussion that you have between uh jaya and her mother is that the that the family used to be able to borrow from their neighbors when they ran out of food but now they have to make their own food that lasts all the way through the winter because they have nothing and they were seen as priors after her husband was killed or after her husband died yeah everybody leaves them alone so you think of jaya as being this real innocent you think the way her mother's saying it to her is kind of, it sounds like her mother's going to her, you need to bring a man home so that we can take care of ourselves. And if you don't bring a man home, we're going to die during winter because we don't have enough food to get through it. So that kind of weight that's put on the speed dating for her is you're kind of going, this poor little innocent Jaya can't even find a man for yes, herself. Yes, exactly. And she seems to be making a really nice connection with one of the speed dates that she has. The other two think she's a bit weird because of her love of American films. But this guy seems to kind of go, seems to be on the right side. And then you find out it's not bringing men home to marry to take on uh, the world it's bringing men home to kill them so that her mother can get back her daughter to their lives which is such an interesting twist because i certainly wasn't expecting that's the way it was going to go yeah it's really um it's so beautifully done i mean even right at the end as well Mm. uh with the 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 lady at in in the campsite in in the snow uh i i I was trying to you know, I suppose in in Western culture, maybe a witch-like figure mm-hmm. uh, or a or a soothsayer of some description yeah. that can um, draw a shaman, a, a shaman yeah. that can pull on the on these myths and legends and, and call upon these spirits. It, it was really, really 
interesting that um you see the fox there you see this fox in the snow yeah. um representing the, the spirit animal it took me ages to work out why the fox was there staring well exactly at it, <laughs> it was only after uh, and looking up um kumiho that okay that's why the fox is there yeah but also the the shaman lady says you have not yet become the darkness that you will be mm-hmm. uh, you'll encounter many deaths before you are done and so even though she's one soul away, mm-hmm. um, it seems to suggest that maybe uh, Jaya's mom, Uma, uh, has possibly misinterpreted the deal that she made with the shaman. I thought uh, that too, yeah. And so that that was also um, a fascinating kind of ending. It, it leaves very much that this will continue mm-hmm. uh, in some way. I wonder whether she will make her way to America. We see that she has this... Uh, penchant for um, American movies, particularly yeah. the musicals. Mm-hmm. With Judy Garland, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, really, that was really good. And I also loved in, in this um, just the whole situation between Atticus and her. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately in this episode, we see Atticus as an American GI in the Korean War Korea, some Koreans see them as liberators. Some of them see them uh, as invaders. You get that view coming through um, a number of the different characters here. Uh-huh. Uh, Jaya's best friend is a communist spy in the hospital. Yeah. You, you hear her mother saying that the Americans are no better than the Japanese that also occupied the Korean peninsula yeah. uh, back in the day. And you see the representation of that as uh, a communist is lynched effectively by the community strung up in the street and strangled to death and the american gis are standing looking on they're not interfering in the in what the community are doing they're effectively supporting what they're doing by them killing communists um one of the things i just sorry, sorry not to correct you john but the uh, the thing about her friend uh, uni um She's she may or may not be the communist spy. I think that's kind of the thing. She is a communist, certainly. And they're looking for someone that's releasing information to the communists. It feels like she actually was just protecting Jaya by saying, blame it on me. But there may have been other people there. It feels like while she is a communist, I don't know whether she, we have enough information to say that she was actually giving information to yeah, the it, communists. Yeah, it could be the orderly. The, there's a mm. moment where she's seen speaking to an orderly by Jaya. That's right. And uh, Jaya just assumes that this is a, a budding relationship starting up. And she says, yeah. no, he's a communist. And that's when we begin to understand Jaya, um, Jaya's best friend's um, own sort of belief or political persuasion here mm-hmm. so um but it, it ultimately ends up in a very very dark place uh with um the jaya's shift uh that the nurse shift mm-hmm. of um that time being taken by the americans to a remote location where they're asked to kneel and two uh, of the nurses are executed mm-hmm. they're looking for this communist spy and one of those executed, one of the nurses is executed by Tick. Yeah. His, uh, his commanding officer, his, his gun jams and ultimately he asks Tick to come in and Tick comes along and, and shoots uh, this. And then ultimately Uni gives herself up and is taken away yeah. and all the nurses are sent back. So it's a really brutal scene, really violent. It, you know, yeah. it, it certainly puts context as well around Atticus's um, 
conversations in the previous episodes about really bad things happening yeah. in in Korea. That idea of the PTSD that you would get from doing something like that, and and what happens is he is later finds himself in hospital, wounded uh, where Jaya is, and she vows revenge in that moment. Mm-hmm. But there there is this weird. Bond that that forms. I mean, she is ultimately seducing Tick to get him into bed to unleash her hairy tails, effectively, <laughs> yeah, right. and take that soul. But yeah. she realizes through their encounters of um, her finishing the Count of Monte Cristo off for Ascus because his glasses are broken. Um, in terms of him opening up about um, the bad things that he d- he has done, like he he's not proud of what he did, um, either with the nurses or um, you know during the war uh, and the things he's done there that yeah. maybe we haven't seen or what he's been asked to do. Well, I think the, the kind of representation that's there of him murdering one of the nurses is that he does it without hesitation. He's, he's exactly. Just, he's just called private. Come over here. He takes his gun out. He shoots the, the nurse in the face. He absolutely would have done that to Jaya if not for the intervention, intervention of Uni. Um, so without getting any kind of conversation between the two of them or without getting time between the two of them, I can absolutely see why Jaya would think Tick is a bad man. Um, and it's only after he's had this time to recover and this time of reflecting on what he's done that he kind of realizes how bad everything he's done. You know, he he explains that the whole reason he's in the army is to get away from the bad life he had at home. Now, we know, obviously, absolutely. from the series how bad his life really was at home with his father Montrose. You see it in the flashbacks that um, that Jaya sees or the uh, visions that she sees of his past, how bad his home life was, you know. So I like how their relationship builds. And you can see it with the conversations again with Jaya and her mother, uh, where she's saying to her, you are now becoming the monster. You're falling for the man that killed your best friend. That makes you a monster. Yeah. Uh, more than any of the things that you've done, the monstrous things you've done in the past, you are a monster. Uh, leading to that great conversation between uh, Jaya and uh, Antic, where she's saying to him, yes, we've done monstrous things, but neither of us are monsters. We both understand what has led to, uh, led us to these points. So. Exactly. That, that That is the bond that forms be- between them. Mm-hmm. And I think also... Um, you know, you have that great conversation, uh, on the bench outdoors. There's Tick and another GI, mm-hmm. uh, for, who is of, um, Korean descent. And then there is Jaya. And they, they're talking about Judy Garland. And she says, have you ever met Julie Garland? And they both laugh. Tick goes, that would only happen if I was her, her butler mm-hmm. uh, and he was her driver. Um, you know, in America, colored folks are treated differently, he says. Yeah. And they both go on to say that, you know, even in their own country, we're, we're hated or we're seen as the enemy. Yeah. And as you say, draft, uh, the draft was how the, the Korean GI got brought in. But he says, well, Tick actually volunteered. Um, he wasn't drafted and, yeah. uh, as you mentioned, it was for him to escape um, the the world in which he lived on the south side of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, you know, he tried to escape through books, but that ended up not being enough. Mm-hmm. And he says now it's full circle back to books with the whole um, Alexander Dumas and the Count of Monte Cristo being mm-hmm. read to him. So it's really nicely. Uh, so, so it's a really nice conversation here i really enjoyed that kind of circularity and i I think it's that conversation because jaya says well why do you fight for um this country that 
doesn't respect you hates you treats you differently and it's very reminiscent of the same kind of narrative coming from vietnam and i think ultimately it's something that happened in the korean war Mm -hmm. world war ii world war one you know this is history repeating itself effectively rather than being simply something of the vietnam war um so this, this is kind of really um yeah it's fascinating again and um we we have Jaya effect, effectively confessing that you know she did want to kill him um you know there is that moment when tick has put on a judy garland uh movie for her mm-hmm. at the american base they go back to hers and i was just thinking will the tickle monster come out effectively <laughs> um not so ticklish no. well the, this 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 bond has kind of cemented Tick and Jaya together, as you say, primarily in the sense that they have both done monstrous things, yeah. that connection primarily. And I, I just thought it was really, really great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just want to quickly reference the, the Monte, kind of Monte Cristo book, uh, because it's come up so often throughout the show. And I kind of like what's happening here with, uh, with Tick. So he's run away from his father Montrose, but he's still reading Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, and it seems like it's multiple times he's read the book. He knows already the ending, even though he hasn't got to the end. Um, and that comes out as a very evident. I love the scene effectively yeah. where she, uh, Jaya's explaining the end of the book to him saying, this is how it ends. It's a bit crap, really. And he goes, that's not how the book ends. You absolutely have to read the book now. You've clearly just seen the movie, right? And so I kind of like the reference to that, but I do like that Tick is reading Count of Monte Cristo almost understand Montrose better. If he understands Montrose's favorite book, maybe he can understand his father better, which I love as a reference to, uh, to who he is as a character. He feels that people are represented by their favorite books effectively. That's, that's my reading of it anyway. And the explanation that comes from Tick as to who his father is, it's either he liked the concept of the book, which is after years of oppression, the man gets his revenge, the count gets his revenge on his imprisoners, or it's because it's written by a black author and it's a very popular book. It's one of those two things, but he can't really work out what Montrose's motivation is. So it feels like he's reading the book multiple times to understand his father more. That's my reading on it. Yeah, I, I think that is how I understand it as well. And I, I think it also feeds into um, his relationship with Jaya as well in mm-hmm. this moment whilst he's um, in Korea serving uh, the American army. Yeah. So... It, it 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 kind of flows through all the elements of these episodes uh kind of really nicely mm-hmm. you know we have the reference to it in in the first episode or, or second episode when montrose is being held in the stone tower by the lodge um back in um ardham county yeah. so it, it's again a, a really nice r- uh, reference point throughout a lot of these episodes mm-hmm. here the other thing I really liked here is on the second date that Jaya is unable to hold back, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, the Kumiho spirit. And we have, um, her foxtails coming out and, and it going to his eyes. I think originally, uh, when the, the first guy, the Korean guy, um, was being attacked by her, tails mm-hmm. i thought it was going into his eyes and on 
on Atticus, it looked more like it was doing a sucker across the eyes right. uh, to windows, read the, windows exactly the soul, John. windows into the soul. Yeah. Um, and this is where she uh, sees that if he goes home, he he will die and warns Tick. But of course, Tick is in absolutely no fit state to take on board any of that. Hence, why. Um, you know, as the time has passed and what's happened to him back in America, mm-hmm. he phones her up to say, you were right. Exactly. Uh, because I, I just thought it was fantastic that you see Atticus freaking out the way he did after, um, being held and read by those tales mm-hmm. of Jai, uh, and, um, him freaking out and racing home. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, she's begging him, pleasing him to stay. Why don't you stay here? Um, and I presume she's able to read the future here because she doesn't kill him. We're not, I'm not too clear whether she was able to read the future of the first, uh, man, uh, or whether it was just his past. And with the dead GI that she also seduces uh, and explodes, mm-hmm. uh, the, Again, we don't know, we don't see his memories there, but I presume that the memories of Tick's future is because she isn't killing him in this moment. Well, exactly, because the other two didn't have a future, John. Yeah, because so she the future explodes. Was, she killed him. Him. She yeah, killed exactly. Yeah, that, that's their future. Um, I do like the fact that I can't imagine Uma, uh, her mom, going, I have to scrub down this uh, room again. 99 times. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. that's a lot of blood to dispose of because it is spick and span uh, after each. Um, I suppose you have to clean the blood down uh, pretty quickly otherwise before it goes dries and goes hard. But well, like, there's certainly, yeah. and I know I'm, I'm just conscious of the room itself has the traditional walls and structure, the the paper walls, effectively, which get covered in blood every time. How do you clean blood off paper? You know, answers on a postcard, I guess. But uh, tell me how to clean blood off paper doesn't happen very often. I don't. I don't actually need uh, the ability to do that. But her mother is the one that cleans up the room with her. She. She. That's you know that's part of the ritual, effectively, that she has to go through. She kills a person, uh, kills a man, uh, takes its soul, and then her mother comes into the room and cleans up the room. But yes, yeah, certainly, there's moments there where you're going to look at that's a lot of mess to clean. Yeah, exactly. But one thing I do want to point out in the vision that Jaya has of Tick and what he's done in the past. She sees his his young life. She sees him being beaten by Montrose. But she also sees her friend, Uni, getting tortured by Tick. Yeah, having, Tick is holding him, holding her down while she's getting her teeth ripped out yes. by the by the commander, effectively. Um, so she sees some really bad things within Tick and then sees his present and his future, effectively. So Yeah, he's, it looks... That future part... Looks like he's kind of caged up yeah. and hanging sort of almost like in a cage, but with it's almost like he's it's belts around him holding him in position. Exactly. But it, he did still look like he was alive. Um, but I, I don't know. It, ke- it keeps going and it looks like he's got spittle dripping from his yeah. mouth as he dies. And that looks like the final moment of his death is what it seems like. So it, um, yeah. it, it's, you know, it, it's pretty, um, it, it's pretty gruesome. It uh, the memories that she sees uh, in Tick. And I kind of like how the show has taken Atticus and, um, you know, that, that the great guy from the five episodes and you see some of the horror yeah. that he's inflicted in wartime and um, that 
he's unable to articulate then back in uh, America mm-hmm. and how the 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 difference of um you know the orders that he's given to do where you're un- unquestioning uh, and then how questioning he is back in um Southside Chicago mm-hmm. and questioning the the orders effectively that would come from police or the you know and uh, that 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 uh, bias that systemic bias and racism within the society that mm-hmm. is and should be questioned and then in the war situation um it is get your gun and it it, it is it's very quick there's no hesitation yeah. um it's it's an order that he obeys exactly. but you see that it has eaten him up uh, in uh, his discussions with Jaya. Well, so, better than Jaya eating up, I suppose. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it is. It is. You're absolutely right. It does lead into who Tick is. This, this is the last time he sees Jaya before going back to America. We saw the vision that he had back in episode two where he had this Korean woman. He had Jaya dressed as a GI attacking him uh, in the vision and he, he murdered her effectively. So now we kind of see why he's so angry at her and why he still has ill feelings towards this woman that he absolutely loved because, as he described himself, it ended weird. Um, so it really I'm, did. So I'm wondering, as we get on from this episode, will we see Jaya come to America? Will we see her on the phone with him? Will we see any further interaction between the two of them um, now that she's gone for this visit with uh, the uh, mystic who who brought uh, the Kumaho alive within her body? Um, will there be new direction from for what she's going to be doing in the future? Will we see that character back in the rest of the season, or was this just a backstory of why? Tick is where he is and why he contacted. I would love to see Jaya back. Um, I I really hope that she does come to America or Tick goes to Korea because Mm. um, she was such a great character here. Um, The the complexities of the emotions of what she's having to do, the 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 conversations with her the her mother Uma at like I, I. I loved Uma as well. Like she was resolute um, to Jaya as inhabited by this spirit. I I kept feeling that a hairy tail was going to come out and kind of do something to her mom because, uh, because her mom challenged the spirit. You know, I want my daughter back. I will have my daughter back. Um, this is how it's going to go. Well, you feel like it must have just taken so much here. She's the reason why she's so resolute is because she's so close to the point that she feels the price will be paid for what she had to do to get rid of her former husband effectively. Um, so of course she's resolute now. It's been, she's had to do this 99 times effectively. She's like, just one more and then we can go back to our normal life. So uh, I did love the the tale between the two of them. I thought that was a really interesting. It really was. Um, I, I thought it was fascinating. I think that's it for the episode itself any kind of notes from the episode you want to talk about john anything anything else we haven't discussed no that that's everything uh, i wanted to discuss from the episode okay. yeah okay um just one or two things that just to pick out that we haven't really talked about um just the i thought it was interesting that atticus was talking about the reason why he was able to get the movie for jaya when they went on that first initial date effectively um they got the movie summer stock and the reason he got it was because of his uncle george so again mentioning his uncle george uh mentioning this character that we've that, that 
died in the first couple of episodes of the show. So, um, so interesting that we're still getting him involved in the story here. Uh, also, absolutely want to mention for our, our long-term listeners, the actress uh, playing Jaya in the show is Jamie Chung, um, yep. who we saw for six episodes of Gotham, uh, where she played Valerie Vale. Uh, she the, did the aunt of yeah. Vicky Vale as <laughs> as one of the one of the major characters on the show for uh, I think it was season four um, that she was involved in, but. I only found out today that she uh, she originally got her start on The Real World in 2002, an American uh, reality TV show, and then moved into acting afterwards. So I just thought that was fascinating. I remember The Real World very well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. TV show. So, yeah. Uh, so you can make good after doing reality TV. <laughs> you certainly can. Yeah, The Real World was great. I loved that. Yeah, but acting is much better. And yes. non- non-reality TV shows are much better than that. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, John, overall, what do you think of this episode? Uh, I really enjoyed this. It, like, it was such an interesting departure from being in Southside Chicago and, mm-hmm. and in the US. Um, I, I give this five foxy tails out of five. <laughs> um, this was really just so interesting. Yeah. The, the whole relationship between Jaya and her mother uh, and the price that her mother had to pay to effectively stop her daughter, uh, from being, uh, raped by her, her husband mm-hmm. and the shame that has been brought on the family. And we, we do hear the reason why Jaya is learning, uh, to become uh, a nurse is to bring back, um, honor and respect back to the family. Yeah. I, I found that really interesting. And I think there's a nice envelope around this episode um about the american involvement in korea mm-hmm. and the korean war and and some of the things that we we see here uh are are pretty um extreme and brutal yeah and i mean particularly to nurses you know you think of at the moment with the amount nurses are working to prevent um, the spread of COVID mm-hmm. and the health sector in general, that because it's happening to nurses, it almost feels like it's breaching the conduct of war or mm-hmm. the Geneva Convention that effectively two nurses have just been executed. And yeah. um, who did nothing as well. Exactly. Like, had did nothing. Like there may, there may be a question over Uni as to whether she is the communist spy or not, but she certainly has confessed, uh, to Jaya that she is a communist. Um, not that, as I say, not necessarily that she's the spy, but, uh, but the other two nurses did absolutely nothing other than take care of, and we saw take care of American GIs brought into their hospitals. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, and then the, the Kumiho spirit in itself, mm-hmm. you know, uh, th- this Korean interpretation of, of similar folklore as well that you find in, um, Southeast Asia with, uh, within China and, and Japan, but also again, just broadening out folklore yeah. myths um we've we've seen south american ones african uh north american and it, it's really um so rich and, and interesting yeah. and and then ultimately the relationship uh that starts as one of revenge by jaya against atticus for for what he did in that execution of one of the nurses mm-hmm. um, and the kidnap of her best friend uni uh, to one where she sees that they are um, two sides of the same coin, effectively, you know, birds of a feather or foxes of a tail, um, <laughs> something like that. I, I just thought it was really so well done. And I want to see these two characters continue. And um, obviously, we'll ask us, Will, but mm-hmm. I really want to see uh, Jaya back in, in this show. I, th- yeah. I thought she brought 
uh, an amazing amount of um, strength, empathy uh, to to this episode. Excellent, excellent. I think I'd continue what I said last week that this again feels like an episode of the twilight zone but with connective tissue back to the show absolutely it does explain some of the things we've learned about tick um but i am perfectly happy if this is the way that the show wants to go for its seven or eight season run <laughs> you know if they do continue to do seasons of lovecraft country and it turns into this is lorecraft country uh, i'm perfectly happy if they have stories as interesting and as detailed and complex as this learning about mythology and learning about uh, creatures from other countries and the things that terrify everybody uh, in their own folklore in their own countries I, i'd be really intrigued if that's the way the show goes uh, the the central storyline of the show is absolutely interesting of course and i'm happy to get back to that next week now that we have this piece that we've learned about atticus's history certainly we know more about his character from this experience through jaya and we know more about what is what happened to him in korea and what and what made him change as a person uh, interesting just the reference here that this was his first time that he was going with uh, which I am. He's yeah. an innocent. He's a virgin uh, in this moment. And we mentioned before the the general uh, horror overview of the trope, effectively, of a virgin is that they survive to the end. So interesting that she didn't take his life uh, as he's a virgin. So I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, we also saw that uh, his that we also saw with Letty that her first time was with uh, Atticus as well. So both of these characters, very virginal characters uh, in in the story. So uh, just little touches in there that I think are are really intriguing. And, and I love, again, I suppose, having uh, Misha Green being involved in the writing of every episode as the showrunner for the show that, you know, she's able to tie all of these episodes together, even when they're covering very different subjects and very different topics. Yeah, absolutely. Really good. Love this. Looking forward to the next episode. We do have tons of feedback uh, that we have for the episode, partly to do with, uh, unfortunately, I didn't pull out uh, one or two pieces of feedback that we got in on previous episodes, but we are so happy to get your feedback in. Please keep emailing us. I'd love to hear your thoughts about episode six of Lovecraft Country. Email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. Yes, and we're also on Twitter at tvpodindustries. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you want to send in audio feedback, you can send up to 90 seconds of your thoughts by heading on over to tvpodcastindustries.com and clicking on the right-hand tab there and leaving your thoughts, discussion points, or comments. Mm -hmm. But with that, let us get into the feedback. All the feedback for uh, this episode is all about Lovecraft Country Episode Mm 5. That's the one with the butterflies. Exactly. Exactly. And the metamorphosis. Where should we start, John? Should we start with uh, the wonderful Steve Brand's voicemail? Yes. Hello, John Derek. This is Steve, and this is for uh, Lovecraft Country episode four. Four? Is it four? Five? Four. Five. Anyway, strange case. Um, strange case. Really um, interesting episode. I'm, uh, again, this, this uh, it is episode five. I just saw that. Anyway, never mind. That's beside the point. Um, but I just, it's, man, so much was revealed in this episode. I, I did get a little spoiled because I happened to scroll through Facebook and I saw the spoiler post and I saw a comment under it. And as soon as I saw the comment, I knew kind of what it meant. And I just was waiting throughout the episode, uh, for, for that hammer to drop. 
so to speak. But uh, no big deal. I'm, I don't care about spoilers. That's it. I think anybody who's heard my voicemails knows that. But uh, it, it was it was kind of cool to see the different transformations. Very um, American Werewolf in in London style is what it looked like to me. Uh, the kind of makeup effect that was done there. It was very uh, reminiscent of that. And uh, I'm not sure what episode I've, I've got so many podcasts I'm trying to listen to that I, I'm not even sure where I'm at with, with y'all's podcast and what number you've got feedback on. So I, I know you're playing these as you get them and as you, you cover the episodes, but uh, episode four. Wow. Uh, episode four again, it's episode five, Steve, come on. Uh, anyway, uh, just a, a couple of big moments uh, for me that I thought was, was really, really great. I was totally blown away and surprised and uh, troubled by the scene with Ruby and the manager of the, the store. I thought, wow, Ruby's gone very dark. And uh, we didn't see Hippolyta and the the universe mobile this time. So I hope we get, we may not get something about that in the next episode or not. I guess the next episode may look, be a flashback to the Korean War. So. Okay, I've gone long and I've rambled, so uh, I'm just going to let it be. Talk to you later. Thanks so much, Steve. I understand how confusing it can all be. I know that Steve's covering, uh, he's almost at the end of Umbrella Academy Season 2 on his own podcast, Panels to Pixels. Go check that out. Really, really good. And I know he also sends in feedback on uh, Cobra Kai for a Podcastica podcast. He sends in feedback to uh, Raymond Paik over in Strange Indeed for their podcast about Umbrella Academy. He sent in feedback to us for The Boys and for Lovecraft Country every episode. Thank you so much. I can totally understand why it's difficult to keep it all straight. I find it difficult just doing two episodes a week. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much, Steve. Yeah, Ruby did go uh, to a, a a dark place mm-hmm. with that stiletto heel, but uh, it, it was certainly, I think, cathartic for her, uh, however difficult to watch. And I yeah, love, I love that you called her a new personal hero last week, John. <laughs> well, she, I think she was. I think um, I, I found her fascinating yep. last week and that transformation between... Um, going into Hillary's skin mm-hmm. as a white woman and, and then back to Ruby yeah. and her conversations. It was, it was very philosophical, I thought, mm-hmm. uh, in, in many respects. And it threw in a great amount of horror. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's a reason why horror is within like folk tales and myths of different cultures. Um, you know, including from this episode, uh, episode six mm-hmm. is it, it, it gives very uh, strong messages yeah. um, and stories. So it's really interesting. And yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing Hippolyta back as well, yeah. for sure. I, I want to see, are we going to actually see her at Ardham or Devon County on the trail of what happened to George? Or is it going to be a situation where she arrives back to the south side of Chicago mm-hmm. knowing the truth of the matter? Okay. Um, I, so it'll yeah. be interesting. I, I really want to see her and her daughter d um on that trip into yeah. that um 
quite frankly, freakish and scary world of Devon and Ardham County mm-hmm. uh, and the people that live there. Absolutely. So um, uh, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, I think there's an adventure to come between the two of them uh, and what they may be looking for uh, in Ardham County. So, uh, yeah, really, really cool. Thanks so much, Steve. Oh, nice reference there to uh, to American Werewolf in London as well and the uh, the particular transformations that were in uh, when episode five of Lovecraft Country. They did feel very body horror, very, uh, very American Werewolf in London. Excellent. Thanks so much, Steve. Let's get on to some more feedback, John. Yeah, over on Facebook for episode five, we have a good number of comments. Uh, first off, Angie Arhouse says, you were right, saying William and Christina were never in the same room together, and they kind of looked alike. Might be the same person. Well, same person. Wow, <laughs> another gut-wrenching episode, but I love it. Uh, also from Donald Dennis, he says, wow. Derek, you called it with having never seen those two people, William and Christina, at the same time. This episode, while great, really set my teeth on edge with the level of awkward discomfort about when the spell would wear off. (laughs) Also, nobody seemed to care about the puddles of goo after they happened. I mean, you'd think someone at the department store would mention the bloodstained elevator. (laughs) The contrast between the two club scenes was very stark. And both of them would probably have horrified Lovecraft himself. <laughs> all in all, a very well acted episode with great follow through on exploring both twists on his themes and the everyday fears some people have to live with. Mm-hmm. Doug Green also says, this show is a hard watch and this week it finally got to me i had to skip past the metamorphosis scene it's the first time in forever i haven't been able to sit through something yeah um thanks so much angie uh donald and doug mm-hmm. for the the feedback yes uh our very own Derek o'neill was absolutely spot on <laughs> with the call about william and christina yeah and i think um you <laughs> know I think people will find um, some of, of of the elements of this show, whether it's to do with looking at people and how they behave to one another yeah. and their place in society, or whether it is the horror element uh, mm-hmm. as well. It, it is tough to watch, and I think the metamorphosis scene, absolutely, with the just the cracking. I, like I actually think you got accustomed to it throughout the episode, but that first moment were you you see the bumps moving over the skin mm-hmm. um and certainly with um William using the knife uh, the first time mm-hmm. on Ruby it really was uh, a lot to take in and i do get you donald um i had the same thought myself about all the the bits of of skin and blood i think hillary smears as as um she's changing back to ruby hillary is smearing blood along the wall as well as she gets to the elevator. And yeah. I, I could just imagine uh, one of the shop assistants coming down and just effectively turning around and heading right on back up uh, to the main floor after seeing the blood sp- smeared across well, the, yeah. the wall. Or, Calling the police and wondering yeah. who got murdered down there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is, it, it is, um, 
that was it was tough um yeah. but i i found it fascinating absolutely absolutely yeah thanks again for the feedback over on facebook as i said you can go over to facebook every week i put up a spoiler post for uh, each of the episodes of lovecraft country where you can leave your thoughts in in there about any of the episodes as you've watched them uh, let's pop on over to twitter uh s cole recover said lovecraft country episode five me screaming at the podcast letty was holding the baseball pass as a tribute <laughs> to the shining tick is looking for the page of the book he's going crazy <laughs> brilliant catch there that That is really good catch and it's interesting you say that um escole recover because like the camera is very deliberate down to uh letty showing her holding the baseball bat you Mm -hmm. know for protection in the same way that wendy torrance uh in the shining Mm -hmm. uh does the same uh so really yeah great spot i just didn't even think um of of that reference but now you say it it's it's really uh, a great catch thanks so much definitely um there was another reference in the episode that we that we couldn't possibly have caught um, just the house where uh where Montrose goes to to Sammy um where they go and have sex uh where Sammy lives is actually the same district that Candyman used to prowl so uh, so it's the same address or the same area uh, of the city of Chicago that's uh, that's prowled by Candyman in the Candyman movies so tons and tons of references to uh, to wow, horror movies over time stuff. there's no way I would have caught that other than seeing an article about it <laughs> this week uh, thanks so much Esco Recover uh, really good to hear from you thanks uh, thanks for shouting at the podcast hopefully you weren't on a bus somewhere when you were shouting at us <laughs> <laughs> I've done that so often when I've heard uh, when I've heard podcasters miss something that I'm interested in um, also over on Twitter Will B says way to come Call your shot last week with William Christina. Absolutely nailed it. Uh, also, it was great to see Montrose have that release of joy at the club. Almost makes me forget how terrible of a person he's been. Very complicated character. <laughs> yeah, he really is. Um, and again, it's one of the joys of this series so mm-hmm. far is that um, in... in in one moment, you are cursing at someone, and in another moment, you're reveling in the joy of the particular situation that they find themselves yeah. in. It's almost a bit like the reverse with Tick a bit, being mm-hmm. horrified by his actions um, in Korea. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And one of the important things, I think, to, to reference in the show, that they're, they're certainly not doing these things to make you forget what the character of Montrose has done and who he is in the past or anything like that. You're not supposed to be forgiving him for being a horrible person. It's just saying he is a person. There are complexities in his character. There are interesting other different things about his character. It's one of the most interesting things I heard recently uh, on another podcast by, um, I'm not sure whether I mentioned this on the podcast before, John, I know we've talked to you about it, but uh, on a podcast was podcast with Christopher Rice and uh, Eric Shaw Quinn, uh, where Eric Shaw Quinn was saying, um, if we are to accept that sexuality does not form the central part of every person who is, who declares themselves as gay or declares themselves bisexual, if we accept that a proportion of the world are gay, a proportion of the world say that they're gay, well, that means no matter who they are and what the other background they have is, we have to accept that 6% of the ales in the world are gay. 6% of right-wing people that have different beliefs to other people are gay. 6% of every type of person in the world is gay. If that's the percentage that you, that you've subscribed to, I suppose. So, uh, so what I love about this complexity of Montrose's character is, yes, he's an awful person. Yes, he's also gay. Those two things aren't connected in any way. Exactly. Uh, so I, I thought that was a really good little revelation in there. Thanks so much for your feedback, Will Be. Yeah, thanks so much, Will Be, and Escole Recover. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to uh, take 
I just wanted to take a little moment here to just say a huge shout out to Matt and Catfish over the Double P Network doing a great job covering Lovecraft Country on Shock and Surprise. Really good, uh, enjoyable podcast that they're doing uh, over there. Uh, again, we they they were doing coverage of uh, of. Uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels uh, about the midway point of the season they diverged in opinions <laughs> to how we were looking at the show and once again great to hear that they have differing opinions as they go on in the series so always great to listen to another aspect or another perspective on the show and listen to about three podcasts including the official podcast on uh, on this show on Lovecraft Country and definitely every week checking out your show great yeah absolutely you shock of surprise it sounds like sort of um you get a pie and you'd have this horrendous surprise coming out of it. Really don't want to hear, don't want to, don't want to have that pie delivered no, to me. No, exactly. I think the biggest surprise probably for them after naming the podcast is we haven't seen the Shoggoth since the second episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's true. But great job, guys. Also over on email, Steve Brown uh, comes back on episode five to say, one thing we have not seen on screen is the Christina to William change or the black to white change. Those have happened off screen. It must be something less brutal and bloody because it seems to happen quickly as well. Hmm. Just a thought. Yeah, I wonder about that. I wonder if it's something like there's a spell that that transfers you into this other uh, other person. You know, when Ruby turns to Hillary, that transformation is like a spell that you'd see in like a Disney movie or something. And then the brutality is turning back into your own persona. Uh, one thing we didn't call out last week was uh, Christina specifically says that William was murdered by uh, by the people um, in the society that he was murdered and left for dead. And then Christina seems to take on the body of William. So William could have actually been a real person uh, somewhere else um, because we know that Hillary is a real person living in uh, outside Ardham Lodge. We saw her in an episode two. So we know that Hillary is also the body of a real person. So that's an interesting thing, whether there's some kind of transfer there between between those characters. But you're right, Rab, we didn't see those trans th- those actual transitions on screen. We saw the really brutal transition of, Chris- of William back into Christina. And we saw that the really brutal transition twice or three times in the episode between Hillary back into Ruby. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for that, Steve. We also got an email from Edgar Matebi over on our email at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Some really interesting uh, feedback about the color palette used on the show. I also saw tweets that we got in uh, talking about this color palette and its usage, and I must say it's something that we haven't ever really talked about on our podcast, so I I did want to read what Edgar sent in to us. Edgar says, hello from Massachusetts. My name is Edgar. I found this podcast during your coverage of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. I was a big fan of the original, so much so that I remember being in my high school computer class when Showtime made the pilot available and free on YouTube in 2014. That's all to say I was very excited about the reboot. Before I get into my theorizing, I wanted to take a moment and sincerely thank you for your kind words on the podcast after the murder of George Floyd. It meant a lot to me as a black American and fellow genre fan. Speaking of being black in America, I'm really enjoying your coverage of Lovecraft Country and wanted to offer some insight into some things that I've been noticing on the show. So background first, I'm a film student and one of my favorite films is Nicholas Winding Refn's Neon Demon. It's a stylistically bright and colorful horror movie starring Elle Fanning and amongst others, our very own Christina Braithwaite, played by Abby Lee. The movie seems to be about the dangers of the modeling world and Hollywood's obsession with beauty, but after multiple, multiple viewings, I figured out that the movie takes place in some kind of hell, and Elle Fanning's characters may be trying to be resurrected as a goddess, and the other models are some kind of were-animals uh, who want to eat each other before she does. How did I figure this out? This nonsense out, you ask? Color story, color palette, which brings me to Lovecraft Country. 
When watching The Neon Demon, I began to pay attention to the colours in the scenes and what they said about characters' motivations. I also started to apply this to the shows and movies I've been watching, including City of Angels and now Lovecraft Country. I think once you notice it, it's hard to ignore. So let's break it down. The colours of, of significance used in Lovecraft Country are yellow slash gold, blue, green, red, pink, purple, black and white. You will notice it's only colours any character wears. You will notice it's the only colours any character wears. And just like the Neon Demon, I've been trying to figure out which colour means what. Here's what I found. First up, white makes means innocence, maybe naive, maybe pure. Black equals death. Gold slash yellow equals power and authority. For example, the yellow shirt Tick is wearing in episode 2, alluding to his bloodline. In episode 4, Letty is wearing the yellow jumpsuit as she leads the group through the caves. This is after Christina tells her that the men think it's all about them. She later confronts Tick about this. She is also the one to swim to get the papers that go missing. Blue equals pioneering, determination, seeking. This is perhaps the most important colour. We see this whenever any character is active in in the plot. Tick's blue pants have been constant throughout the season. He also wore a blue shirt at the museum as they were seeking Hiram's paper. He also wore... He also wore a blue shirt at the museum as they were seeking Hiram's pages. Letty also wore blue in the first half of the episode dealing with Christina and Tick, and also wore that dark blue dress in episode, th- episode 3 as she was pioneering to live in a white neighbourhood. Christina wore her blue outfit in episode 3 as her plot to get the house orrery is revealed. She is pioneering to get the power men have held onto for so long. That's a really interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Edgar continues, green equals family slash truth slash safety. You can usually trust a character wearing this. For example, Christina wore that green necklace as she warned Tick of the ritual and gave him the gold ring. George wore a green and black because he was going to die shirt in episode two and Tick wore it around Hippolyta, Dee and Montrose in episode three. The most extreme examples of this is episode four when Hippolyta is talking to her father on the green phone while she is wearing all green. Red equals dangers. There are many examples of this, but I'll point out Laddie's pants and blood-covered shirt in the pilot and actually all the bloody white clothes by the by the pilot's end. And also Christina's red dress in episode four. Letty's lips also red, especially around Tick. But I don't know why for this. Maybe she feels danger around Tick. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's the way they're exploring it. Yeah, exactly. I think as well w- between red can also be associated with passion mm-hmm. as well. Um, so yeah. there there could be that element. That's true. That's true. Speaking of which, uh, Edgar says pink is love or passion. Ruby wears a pink rose uh, in the pilot and episode four. Letty is wearing pink pants and black top uh, when Alicus first sees her. He's also wearing a pink shirt around Letty. I know that's a lot, but if you're still with me, I have some predictions. It's too late to say that I did predict George to be Tick's father. All the way in episode one, I believe George cheated on Hippolyta, and that's why Montrose claimed Tick, uh, but also to cover it for his sexuality. My biggest clue, however, is that Michael K. Williams seems to only play gay characters now, like The Wire and Unhappen Leonard. And my last theory is that Christina is also a lesbian. I will admit, I didn't catch on to the William thing until episode four, but in episode two, when they got to get breakfast outside, William pulls the chair out for Letty, and he very clearly checks out her ass. <laughs> they are also dressed in suits. One is dressed like a man, and the other in, in a man's skin. One final prediction, William was also able to sneak up on them constantly because that little pocket watch of his or hers has the ability to stop time. That's a really interesting one. That is a fascinating <laughs> like uh, theory, uh, Edgar. Mm. I, yeah, th- that would be fantastic because certainly time and space is very important here as well. Yeah. Even with the orrery, 
um, that uh, it has is of great importance to mm-hmm. Christina. So, uh, yeah, I like that theory uh, a lot for sure. Excellent. Um, Edgar says, can't wait for the next episode. Sorry for the long email, but it's fun. And then emailed us again to say, after rereading the email, I saw that I forgot to critically expand on black and white color choices and forgot orange. While white does mean innocent, um, I think it also implies goodness or naiveness in the scene or plot. Often this is the audience surrogate. For example, Tick and Letty were both wearing white tops when they start out in their road trip in the pilot. Innocent pioneering, if you will. Furthermore, in those scenes, George had black, which I do retain means death in most contexts, but also represents complexity in a scene as a juxtaposition to the naivety of the white colour, as in George has been on this trip before. These two have never gone on this journey before. As for orange, I forget to say it represents sadness or confusion. In episode three, Hippolyta was wearing an orange dress as she was ripping out those pages and also mourning George. In episode five, Letty was wearing orange in the first half of the episode when she was hurt by Tick's actions and took the top off when she was having sex. I hope that makes sense. Edgar Mutebi. Yeah, that's fascinating, Edgar. Thanks Mm -hmm. so, so much uh, for um, your email. Yeah, I mean, certainly colour has... um, huge signifiers i think even in um penny dreadful city of angels there is uh in in mama vega's crypt um and mm. not crypt crypt is the wrong word no, um a, but a shrine shrine yeah. to santa muerta there are a number of different colors that she calls out mm-hmm. uh that the, there's black there's white but also with um, yellow for power and authority, mm-hmm. uh, green for trust, safety. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really interesting that, that colors are uh, an important theme. Yeah. Um, for, for, for cultures. Um, I, I think it's, uh, first peoples in, in North America prized red above gold. That's right. Uh, yeah. as, as one of the paint, color. uh, the, the paint color. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, really kind of, um, interesting stuff here and and that you know you use that thematically throughout these pieces um is really interesting yeah yeah. and you know it would it would really stand to the set decorators the designers the uh the costumers uh, and everybody that's working on the makeup and all all of those elements in a show like this to have uh color standing in for certain feelings in each of the in each of the scenes that's a really cool idea exactly and i mean frequently in the making of or behind the scenes type of additional content that you get you you just hear the level of thought and detail that's gone into the production mm-hmm. um, and the the wardrobe, uh, you know, it, it's not by accident. And so fantastic um, call. Thanks, Edgar, for the feedback. Absolutely. And thanks so much for listening, Edgar. Hope we're, hope we're doing justice to the season so far as well. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, a couple of final pieces of feedback. First up, Elaine, who says, Hello, I'm Elaine, an African-American from Dallas, Texas. I love reading sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, discovered your podcast while searching for different perspectives on Lovecraft Country on HBO. First of all, I love your accents and I love your take on the show. I read the book Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff, several years ago and I loved it so I was very excited about the show. I often wonder how anyone but African Americans can understand our culture, history, nuances of our race. Not that you guys fully understand but I love the tolerance and kindness uh, you have all displayed in your podcast. I hope you don't mind but I wanted to share a few historical points from the show that I thought merit some attention. Uh, The motorist travel guide mentioned in the show was a very real part of my people's life so that we could get out to see the country and travel around America. Um, She also shared some photographs of of the the copy that she purchased on Amazon. Very cool. 
There is a, a real book. Uh, this is the book that George has written yeah. to, to help people. Uh, well, George across. and Hippolyta. Yeah. George and Hippolyta, exactly. Um, and then continues during the audio of James Baldwin uh, from the first episode. Several of the scenes were taken from actual photo photos taken by Gordon Parks, and she included the photos there on, on her email. Yeah, so, that was fascinating. Yeah. Again, that attention to detail. Totally really uh up for, you know from the production really really good yeah because there is there's even a moment i think in episode th- uh, episode three or four when christina comes up to um to letty's house in the white neighborhood um she sees this mark on the ground which has black and an arrow pointing to her house that's a reference to something that that absolutely uh existed back in the 50s uh it's also just referencing the fact that the neighborhood haven't forgotten about what happened to letty in episode yeah. three they haven't forgotten that uh that She's still a black person living in a neighborhood where they don't want her. They're still punishing her effectively. So, uh, so some really good references to historical things that have gone on uh, throughout America. Thanks for, thanks for those, uh, those pictures, Elaine. Um, she continues, I'd also like to point out in episode three, uh, when the kids were in the attic playing with the Ouija board and Bobo asked if he, if he would have a good trip, the board answered no. This is an homage to Emmett Bobo Teal, who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. He was from Chicago. His debt was one of the catalysts of the civil rights movement. Um, yeah, that was a really interesting reference they did in the show, Elaine, wasn't it, Jay? I think we caught that uh, after watching the episode. That was uh, No, I think, Will, uh, one of our other listeners pointed out this, this reference because um, absolutely for myself and Derek, it's not something that even crossed my mind. And yeah. yet, the, again, back to how well this show is capturing uh, the the historical elements of, of of that era as mm-hmm. well as the production designer doing you you see the tie that um the the actor is wearing and you look at then the pictures of real life Emmett Bobo Teal mm-hmm. um and the because the tie is very distinctive that he was wearing and they they replicate that yeah. and so yeah it, it's phenomenal um seeing that level of detail and also um you know hearing this Getting the additional context of this for us, because that's not um, something I would have have heard of. Yeah. Um, the the this this crazy lynching of uh, a young kid, um, yeah. Emmett Bobo Teal. Um, lastly, Elaine says, I, I know to many it's just a TV show, but to me and others in my community, it is a spotlight on art history mingled in with entertainment, showcasing some of our very talented actors, directors, and writers. I'm new to your podcast, but I wanted to let you know I appreciate your take on the show. I have subscribed and look forward to continued listening. Great work from Elaine. Elaine, thanks so much. Genuinely, you know, we jump into these shows. They are entertainment shows and we're always open to learning about them. I think that's probably where, uh, where, where we kind of take our, our stance from on shows where we have a take on a TV show. We're watching it for entertainment, but if it's, if it's there to teach us something and we're there to learn, absolutely we we're there and open and we do our research and we look into everything that we learn from these shows these are so heavily layered just like absolutely uh, watchmen that we watched last year every episode is layered with things that we may not be aware of being foreigners being being irish people uh watching on there's so many things that we've learned from from tv and we absolutely depend on our listeners like yourself and like our, our other people that send us feedback for things that we may not pick up, things that pass by in the blink of an eye and we may not notice them. Um, but they're so well incorporated into the show that we want to learn them. We're really intrigued by them. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks mm-hmm. so much, Lane, for the email. Really great to hear from you. Thanks, Lane. 
finally, uh, another email from Ron Smith that was sent uh, to us after episode one. Uh, Ron says, Hey guys, I discovered your Pennyworth podcast and was pleased to see that two Brits were the hosts. I'm a Yank. When I started watching Lovecraft Country, I looked for podcasts. Fortunately, I saw that you guys were covering it. I just want to say that there is so much in the show that people can miss, from the references to black culture and history to the Lovecraftian elements. Fortunately, you guys nailed the first episode. I've only listened to one so far. Uh, I was so pleased that you knew it was James Baldwin's voiceover, as well as your discussion of Giovanni's room. Brilliant. I sometimes get frustrated when I listen to a podcast and the hosts are missing the big ideas in the show they're covering. I admit, I was a little hesitant on how you would cover Lovecraft Country. What do these Brits know about the black American experience? I was pleasantly surprised. So in closing, I just want to say, as a black American, I admire the time and dedication you put into the pod. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. Cheers, Ron. Uh, Thanks so much, Ron. And, you know equally uh, applies to Edgar and to Elaine. But Mm -hmm. thank you so much because I think we're very much learning as well. You know, we we will certainly, if we can open and broaden our horizons uh, and learn something more, pass it on to our listeners in in this show that we do. Uh, We love it. And as well with uh, your feedback, it's great that we can do that um, by telling us that we're going down the and along the right direction and also picking us up where we get it wrong and um, you know as i say we are learning uh, and in some cases uh other aspects of this can we we may be coming at it from that european point of view uh, as well which is yeah. is predominantly white uh, and has its own nuances with 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 black culture mm-hmm. and in fact i i would say we probably know more about the american civil rights movement than possibly um our, our own similar type movements uh within our own countries mm-hmm. um yeah. for sure yeah. it's 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 a it's a strange thing to say but mm-hmm. it's one of those things of digesting a, a american culture that there's some underlying knowledge which may be right it may be wrong mm-hmm. it may be partially right partially wrong or whatever it may be and so we're, we're happy to um really sort of discover um more from these shows yeah. um and uh, yeah thanks so much for uh the feedback absolutely and thanks ron for reminding me i do need to read uh, giovanni's room by james baldwin because i know john absolutely loved that uh, book when he read it years ago yeah, it's um, it's a it's a great great story, uh, and I think um, again, like seeing with Montrose there in the last episode, mm-hmm. um, and the idea of being gay in your own community, mm-hmm. uh, that can be very very difficult. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, James Baldwin uh, and his book Giovanni's Room is an excellent kind of take uh, on on uh of gay fiction uh, and really uh really well done absolutely excellent uh thanks again ron uh, just to mention uh ron uh, in his signature uh he he is an author uh he's a published author and guess what he's written john he's written uh an arc of black panther um making my way through great stuff yeah uh, making my way through a ton of black panther comics at the moment uh i, I really want to read uh, ron's take on on uh, black panther as well yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah thanks so much ron thanks elaine thanks edgar 
Uh, and thanks to everyone who provides in the feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is so great to get your thoughts uh, on this. Uh, you know, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we hope you stay subscribed to the podcast. And of course, if you enjoy what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Mm-hmm. Sharing the podcast is, of course, sharing the love. Uh, you can subscribe to us, rate us, leave a review. Uh, you are more than welcome uh, to do all of those things if you enjoy our dulcet tones. Mm-hmm. You can, of course, if you want to uh, support us through Patreon as well, just go to patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries and you're more than welcome to sign up there as well. Yeah. Thanks so much to all of our patrons that have been supporting us over there. It's been really good of you uh, to support us. uh, It does keep the podcast going because we're doing a lot of podcasts, uh, which does take a lot of time and does take a, a lot of bandwidth to to manage them. So thank you to all of you that are supporting uh, the delivery of TV podcast industries. Yeah, in any way that you feel you can support us, we are really, really appreciative uh, of that support. Absolutely. So thanks so much. Uh, and of course, next week we'll be back with Lovecraft Country, Season 1, Episode 7, I Am. Mm-hmm. Yahweh, I think, is uh, translated to I Am. So uh, maybe another God connection. Another God connection? Uh, Or is it, I think, therefore I am? Maybe, maybe. Uh, maybe more the God connection. <laughs> I suspect so. But if you do want to join us for something else, for a, a palate cleanser, maybe, uh, after the darkness and violence and horror that happens in Lovecraft Country, um, we also cover the slightly more... Uh, funny darkness horror and, and blood <laughs> Absolutely. and guts uh, over on the boys we'll, uh, we'll be back uh, the next episode that we'll be releasing on tvpodcastindustries.com is our discussion about episode 6 of The Boys season 2 so uh, join us over there uh, a lot of fun on those episodes and we'll be back with Lovecraft Country next time thanks for joining us once again yeah thanks so much fellow dreadfuls for joining us it is again a pleasure discussing this fantastic show with you uh, remember keep watching keep listening Keep devouring souls. <laughs> Keep devouring souls. Yeah. Is that, that our ending note for the episode? It is. Okay. Well, like Kumiho Spirit. Uh-huh. Okay. Why not? Okay, bye. Or keep flicking your hairy tail. I uh, don't know. Whatever I it am, might be. I'm completely terrified. Please, somebody save me. <laughs> well, let me just say, out of the three keeps, you should at least keep watching and keep listening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Bye. Maybe less of the third. <laughs> Thanks. Bye.